This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. This week we're kind of steering away from the teaching side of things and we've actually got ex-police officer on Scott McEwen. Scott worked with the police service and he is now um, a, he's a, a retired inspector and he's now training and development officer with the Scottish Violence Reduction Unit. So it'll be interesting to see what he's got to say tonight and how the work that he carries out we can kind of take forward into schools um, because obviously we spend a, an awful lot of a young person's life um, with them in school. So um, it'll be interesting to see what his take is on that and the kind of the practices that they kind of look at, and how we can obviously take that into our daily daily practice. So, aye, looking forward to this one. I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, we're good to get him on. I met Scott a couple of weeks ago in my school. He was in speaking to a group of pupils about managing stress and anxiety. So, I'm sure we'll touch a wee bit about on um, how we can address young people who are displaying distress behaviour and um, to achieve a positive outcome. And we'll also talk a wee bit about his role in the police and what he, he learned along that journey and um, anything that we can pick up in education um, to help us. So looking forward to getting Scott onto the show and then we'll obviously finish with a quick fire round, which Lewis loves. This is his 94, 94th episode. My favourite. 94 <laughs> quick fire rounds. It's been very, very, it's been some journey. Absolutely, has, has so. But aye, what have you got to say? The spirit of almost carrying on all the way to 100. Absolutely, we're almost there. But anyhow, <clears throat> with that being said, we'll get this show on the road. Right, Scott, welcome to a wee bit of everything. How's your, how's your day been? It's been an excellent day and the weather's been absolutely fine as well, so yeah, it can only get better. I managed to remember to pack my sunglasses today when I was out in the pitch teaching, so that was a bonus. I think it's going to get better as the week goes on. I thought you were looking like a bit of a panda sitting there. <laughs> That's why I've got these glasses on just to hide it. <laughs> Um, I so welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for for agreeing to come on tonight, and then we're looking forward to chatting about you know all things education and a bit about your your uh, career in the police as well as a retired inspector. So, would you like to give the listeners a wee background information on your your career to date, Scott? Yeah, well, it does span thirty three years, so we could be here all night. I'll be honest with you, but what I will try and do is pick out the highlights. Uh, I joined in uh, August nineteen eighty nine. And uh, they said that I'd go far in the job. I didn't realise it was geographically, because I got posted to Oban, of all places. Oh, did you? And within nice nice place. Uh, it's, it's a lovely place, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always go back, it'll always hold a very, very fond place in my heart. And within 18 months, I was actually in Tyree, which is four and a half mile, four and a half hours off the mainland, it has to be said. So I um, had a good grounding, a lovely picturesque grounding, uh, up and round about an Argyle. Um, and I was a member of the mountain rescue team up there. I was also a detective. I investigated my first murder up there in 1993, uh, prior to moving from there down into Glasgow City Centre. And I was based in Glasgow City Centre for the majority of my service on and off. Uh, I was uh, initially a police officer working at Stewart Street in the city centre, doing response policing. I was fortunate enough to do a number of roles, uh, including uh, proactive teams, robbery teams, a stolen car squad. And I had a thoroughly, thoroughly fantastic time as a police officer in and around the city centre. There's always something happening. Every night is a Saturday night in Glasgow. Uh-huh. Honestly, I have to be a bit of a shock to the system from Oban and Tyree, I would imagine. 
Well, I'm actually from Blackburn in West Lothian, so it wasn't actually that difficult right, a transition. Okay. They're easier to go to Glasgow than it was to Tyree. They don't even speak your language there. <laughs> they don't. They didn't speak in Gaelic, which is quite difficult for near mortals like myself to understand. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, Glasgow City Centre was fantastic for me. I managed to be a firearms officer while I was there as well and uh, provided some protection to heads of government and uh, members of the royal family, etc. Promoted to North Lanarkshire uh, in and round about uh, Bells Hill, Motherwell, yep. Ashaw. Uh, there are a number of roles there in operations and emergencies planning. Was promoted into uh, another project job, it has to be in, in the shape of project management. So I dealt with uh, the encrypted radios being brought into what was Strathclyde then. Dealt with 999 systems as well. So if you made a call via 999 or any police officer has used a radio, I had some footprint in that over the past 15 or 20 years. Right. So carried on with service eh, all the way until the sort of last three years and where the teaching aspect of things comes in as I spent my last three years at the Scottish Police College. Eh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there. I never thought I would gain a love for, for teaching, but I did. I completed my diploma through Napier University and then went on to do my TQFE at uh, Stirling University. I then uh, retired and within four months had um, secured a job within the SVRU as a training and development officer. And it's been a fantastic experience, it really has. And I've probably developed and learned more in the past three years than I did in the previous 30, particularly oh, really? up to myself and just human relationships and rubbing along with people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But come back to this role as a police police inspector. Have you got any any stories you can share? Any any ones that stick in your mind? Any stuff you had to deal with? That's can I stick um, to it? There are so many. I can, ima- I can imagine. So so, so many. Um, I, I I'll be honest. I can't actually think of a specific one right off the mm-hmm. top of my head just now. Um, Put you on the spot there. Sorry. Yeah. I. Th- it's, it's one of these things that probably a lot of them I couldn't actually tell you about because Aye, never, never, never a dull moment. actually involves somebody who might be quite embarrassed by uh, telling you how they got into the position they got into. Uh, one in particular that does stick in my mind, it, it goes to show about members of the public. I used to be the bar officer at St Enoch's Police Office, which was within the St Enoch Centre itself. Right. I can remember a guy coming in one day and he said, uh, I'm, I'm actually looking for some assistance. And I says, how can I help you? He says, eh, I'm looking to buy a Hoover. I says, I'm, I'm sorry. He says, I'm looking to buy a Hoover. He says, just, just my wife sent me out and I've not got a clue what it is that I'm meant to buy. And it's a case of, chase yourself. Honest to goodness. <laughs> like, what, why do you pick a Hoover? I'd pick a Hoover for him. It's a, it's I, hope you, I hope you told him to go for a shark. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you like, Lewis? Uh, he'd lights on them. Just members of the public. My no, that's brilliant. That, that's Glasgow for you, isn't They're always just ridiculously funny as well. Just no, some I'm, sure, of I'm, sure you've got, I'm sure you've got a few. Honestly. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so you were talking about your role as a training development officer. Is that within the Scottish uh, Violence and Reduction uh, Unit? Is that right? Yeah, it, it is now. It is now. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a role that I obviously picked up. It's been just over two years now. Right. that I've been in post and it's been a fantastic learning opportunity from my own point of view because aligned to that we had to do a lot of study and a lot of training in regard to trauma training mm-hmm. uh, in particular uh, adverse childhood experiences because trauma does lie behind a lot of the violence that's experienced in our communities and in society in general so it's something that I was largely unfamiliar with it's something that police are getting a lot better with, eh, both in regard to being trauma-informed, trauma-aware, and more particularly, trauma-skilled in their practice. Mm-hmm. And everyone who is in a forward-facing role with members of the public, or indeed yourselves as teachers, I think should be trauma-skilled in their practice. Because it's only then that we understand some of the behaviours that are exhibited by the young men and women that are, we are working with. On a day and daily basis. And you're doing a lot of work in, in I know Lewis is going to touch, touch on this in his next question, but you've done a lot of work in schools then? 
No, yeah, mixed, mixed, mixed up. Yeah. aspect of things because I don't think it's something that's particularly touched upon, certainly no since during any of my uh, teacher training. That was more about the learning transfer and mm -hmm. making sure that was effective and efficient as possible. Uh, not always taking into consideration uh, the mindset of individuals that were obviously trying to teach. Um, so, I mean, the adverse uh, childhood experience uh, aspect of things, I mean, that was a study that was done, uh, you know, in the Kaiser Permanente in 1997 by Felitti and uh, Robert Ander. And, and what they found, it was actually an obesity study that was taking place. Right. But what they found was uh, there, there were 10 uh, adverse childhood experiences that they, they noticed in a sort of longitudinal study, which was affecting uh, life choices, life opportunity, and life limiting age, it has to be said. And so they come under three categories of uh, abuse, uh, neglect, uh, household dysfunction. So physical, emotional, sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, mental illness, an incarcerated relative, uh, mother treated violently, substance abuse or divorce. Mm -hmm. And they found that these things could have an impactive effect on individuals in their development. And basically the way that they aligned some of this, some of the outcomes to that were, People who had four or more ACEs were four times more likely to be a high-risk drinker. They were six more times likely to have caused or actually experienced uh, an unintended teenage pregnancy. Uh, they were six more times more likely to smoke e-cigarettes or tobacco. They were six more times likely to have sex under the age of 16 years. 16 times more likely to have used crack cocaine or heroin, 20 times more likely to have been incarcerated at any point in their lifetime. And it's not until you look at these things, and I would have to say 14, 14 times more likely to have been a victim of violence uh, in the last 12 months. And there's some stark figures in and amongst that. And we as uh, police officers, uh, up until fairly recently, and I would say in the last three or four years, were largely blinded from that uh, as a science. However, we don't know what we don't know, but when we know better, we do better. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time when we are dealing with members of the public and people who have experienced trauma in those terms, what we've got to do is look past the behavior and not say, why are you being like that? It's to ask what's happened to you in order for you to be like that. Mm -hmm. So there's a paradigm mm -hmm. shift thinking. And as soon as we move ourselves out of the blame, as in you, 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 we think what has happened, we've got an alternative perspective, uh, we're out of judgment at that point in time, and we might be able to deal with instance in a much more balanced way. And so there's definitely a more increased understanding and awareness then within the <laughs> Yeah. Oh, see, within teaching, obviously, we've got to log X amount of hours of like CPD and stuff like that each year to stay within the profession obviously to have your membership the council what is that in terms of i know like most professions that, that might be a, a false statement there but i know like a lot of professions are, are like that what's that like in terms of like the police or the emergency services is that similar do you need to do x amount of training days to obviously keep up to speed with all that sort of stuff as well we'll have mandatory training which would have to take place as and you would understand if there were changes in legislation or uh, bills, etc. We would have to understand those in order to do our jobs on a day and daily basis and know and be aware uh, of exactly what the constraints of and demands of that would be prior to it coming into being. So that's mandatory training. The ACES training was mandatory training as well. And so it should be as it would be for uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence, etc. etc. So it's not as much as CPD. Uh, the one thing in society that is a constant is change. Mm -hmm. And because police work in the community and legislation and law is in constant flux, and we've got to move with that as well. So whilst there isn't a CPD as such, there is a continual training that takes yeah. on. In actual fact, I had, uh, just before I left, after 30 years, uh, in the last 20, I had actually completed 128 courses. Wow. Different yeah. types. So they, those were the ones that were recorded, maybe not the ones where you'd go into, uh, which were workshops mm -hmm. or something similar. So the amount of training that has to be done, uh, you're almost running just, just to keep up. 
And that's probably that, that's right from the start of your career then as well. It'd be Absolutely. interesting to see like what courses you did like way back then. Maybe not way back then, but like at the start to now to see if there's like things that you just you would maybe look back on and think, God, that's changed an awful lot or that doesn't even like that's a lot of rubbish now. Or do you know what I mean? Like it'd be interesting to see because it does, it's the same with teaching. There's always different things um in terms of teaching and learning, how people learn and all that that's getting like debunked or um it's not necessarily like the the preferred way to practice now as it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago so it'd be interesting to to see because it is like you say it's just constantly changing all the time yeah i mean going going back it was a lot it was rote teaching at the time so you would be repeatedly writing things down there was mm. to given are you a visual learner or you an audio learner would mm. you be more receptive to a blended it was basically a chalk and talk uh-huh. and that's a way back then so i can see the you know the the spectrum um, from that point, and some of it wasn't particularly good training either. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Know that where you were just repeating, you know that rote learning. Um, mm-hmm. that, that that is a thing of the past. That is prehistoric now. When you see, you know, what we're going in the way of uh, multimedia and smart boards and the way in which people are engaged now, um, there, there are some things that are still very very similar. Um, uh, the firearms, for instance, you still have to be able to load and shoot accurately and under pressure uh-huh. so but even that some of that has changed as well um, but the standards haven't mm-hmm. Aye. well again just kind of moving on to my question then scott it was in relation to the work that you're doing the scottish violence reduction unit clark and i had a wee, a wee bit of a chat in terms of the questions and stuff that we're going to ask and i think obviously our jobs as teachers because we are working obviously a lot of um, time with the young people on a weekly basis I guess our question would be, can I, how can schools play their part in assisting the work that you are currently doing in the Scottish Violence Reduction Unit? I'll be honest, I think you're, you're playing your part every single day. Mm. Teachers should be regarded, and I certainly regard them as social architects. And that's because you perform a, an absolutely pivotal role in shaping citizenship and community. And there's an old Greek proverb which says, "Old men plant trees under whose shade they never, they will never sit." And the idea of that is that you're planting trees. You've got no idea how some of these individuals are going to turn out. They could be prime ministers, they could be police officers, they could be brain surgeons. You've got absolutely no idea. But in the role that you discharge as authoritative caregivers, you are moulding these individuals and in their rules for living and their very fabric of society, and their values and their belief system. And I think some of that has to be reminded um, for a good part of the time, because we've got a tendency to lose that and just the normal busy things. Uh, you know, everybody's living life in midair, they're running with their heads on fire. It's enough to keep up with curriculums of excellence, uh, get through one exam to another exam, make sure that you're prepared as well as possible. But sometimes, you really don't take cognizance of the fact of the absolutely crucial role that you play in the development of young people. And sometimes it might be difficult to see the wood for the trees mm-hmm. because of, I think, some of the challenges and difficulties that you might face. But can I tell you, rules for living are developed in three places, in the classroom, in the playground, and at home. Mm-hmm. And it's through that messaging and home and school, you create core beliefs and worker models that you carry throughout your life. Mm-hmm. So I think from time to time, you've got to remind you just how important a role you are doing right now before you're being asked to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a job that I would find particularly difficult to do. I've done it with older adults. Adult learning is much different from the, the job that you're performing just now, so colleges and universities. Um, and here's the thing as well, of all the people that we deal with, some of the young gang members who are running and out of jails and, and prisons and young offenders institutions, if I were to say to them, was there ever somebody, you know, that actually took that time to speak to you? It's amazing how many times some people come away with, well, there's this teacher at school. Mm. Someone who believed in them tried to give them a chance. Somebody who believed in them when they didn't believe in themselves. Mm. 
And the thing is, the, the, there's an idea that we have a, a significant seven characters uh, from the, we're, we're uh, being born and brought up, going through adolescence and stuff. And you will absolutely remind somebody of one of that significant seven. It might be a mum, a dad, it might be a sister, a brother, an uncle. Oh, so one person has a significant seven, like people within their life. One person has a significant seven. So I'll I'll imagine if you were lucky enough to have mum, dad, uncles, brothers, sisters, gran, and there would be certain messaging that they conveyed to you uh, and the, the attachment that you had with that person. And that's something that's not forgotten, but something that we sometimes transpose into other relationships. It might well be that you yourself were one of the significant seven to that individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, because a lot, of, a lot of young people don't have that, the, the pleasure of having a significant seven in their life, I suppose. Yeah, no, a... not the shape of blended families. That's very much yeah. a 50s, 60s, 70s thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2.4 kids, etc. We're, we're very much in a different age. Um, the, other, the other thing that the uh, schools do, um, you're obviously heavily involved in mentors and violence prevention on your own school uh, runs that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would absolutely recommend that if you don't have it in your school, you, you, you consider it. And that's just for the point of view, good citizenship. And what was, sorry, what was that called again? Did you say Mentors and violence prevention. Mentors and violence Right, okay. MVP. 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 So is that what you were in uh, Clark School for then? Is that the same? Yes. Right. Uh, well, no, it wasn't specifically that. Uh, it was just in regard to uh, an input that we were doing and sort of stress, anxiety and relationships. And right, in actual okay. fact, I think I had the dog in that day as well, didn't I? Clark? Hi, the therapy dog in, I was brilliant. What All schools should have a dog. I'm making that statement live right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I would have to say I'm, I'm a bit biased. Uh, my dog's actually a therapy. I've, I've volunteered for the past six years uh, with Canine Concern Scotland. Um, and I take her in um, because a lot of the stuff that we actually cover can be quite triggering if we're going in and speak about trauma. Some people might see themselves and what is being described and that can be quite unsettling and it's good for her uh, just to be on hand because she helps just regulate everybody Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's fantastic. The staff take as much of it as any of the pupils do. Mm -hmm. Um, Might come to that um, towards the end as well if we're talking about um, stress and trying to regulate pupils etc but uh, no MVP so it's Clark School that's got MVP that, that mentors in violence prevention so it's, it's very much a case of there's a couple of stages um, um, what they do is they look at a uh, bystander theory uh, there's two things that would stop us becoming involved in things one of which is pluralistic ignorance mm-hmm. another one is diffusion of responsibility now pluralistic ignorance is when we take a particular view. Um, what, what would be an easy one to, if there's a fight at the school gates and everybody's shouting fight, fight, fight and clapping their hands and you're taking part in that, you might think to yourself, this is wrong. But by virtue of the fact that everybody else is doing it, right. then I must be wrong and they must be right. And you are exponentially less likely to intervene on that basis because there's a social condition and a rule that's taking place that that's what's going to happen. The other part of that is diffusion of resp- responsibility, and that's where the more people that are present, um, there's a, again a conditioning and a rule that they will less likely become involved the more people that are there. And we sometimes show footage of somebody that's collapsed in London, and there are literally dozens of people stepping over the top of the individual who's collapsed. And it's very much a case of, well, nobody else is doing anything, so I'll not do anything either. Mm-hmm. However, if the roles are changed there, it only takes for one person to go forward and break that rule, that conditioning that's taking place. Mm. And then people are quite happy to go and actually intervene. Yeah. Um, but the more people that are present and not doing something, the less likely they are to actually become involved. If it was just you and the other person, we are hardwired to help as humans. We're hardwired to help and assist. And again, you're exponentially more likely to go and assist if it's only you and one other person, because the onus is on you to do something or not do something. Mm-hmm. So um, it looks at that, and there's about 16 scenarios now running, everything between bullying, pornography, right through uh, the gamut of scenarios. And um, yeah, it, it just allows and agitates that conversation for uh, peer learning, 
and uh, leadership skills as well. I mean, we've got police officers now who were MVP leaders when they were at school, and they come back into community jobs and they're already well aware of it. So it's that cyclical thing, aren't they? So yeah, we can we can always do better. At the end of the day, we can always do better. But uh, MVPs, very good. Is that is that the Scottish Violence and Reduction Unit that leads that, or like kind of trains up the the mentors? It's it's not now. It no. was implemented by. Uh, the violence reduction unit is taken on by Education Scotland. Uh, you're looking, we, we still uh, have quite a good handle on it, and it's uh, Angela McDonald and Pauline Lynch right. uh, on the steering group for that. But we keep a, a, a close contact with them. If there's anything that's happening with them from a development point of view, mm-hmm. uh, they'll feed that back into us as well. Right, nice. No, it's, it's been quite fascinating. I've been, I've been listening to podcasts myself, and it was in lockdown. And it was like, what can education learn from different uh, professions like the uh, kind of me- medicine, uh, and NHS, you know, various different kind of workforces. So this question was in here to just to see, you know, what could teachers learn from the, pre- the police force in terms of how we interact and engage with the young people who are displaying distressed behaviour uh, in order to achieve a positive outcome. Would, would there be anything, any top tips or anything that we could learn, you know, from from your experience and your careers? Yeah, well, uh, the police themselves, obviously we deal with people in slightly different circumstances. Uh, we're not always seen as being particularly helpful because we'll turn up at incidents and it's probably the last people uh, that uh, are, are welcome there. Uh, everybody works in the premises. As soon as the police become involved, things are only going to get worse. Um, from a policing point of view, as I say, we've got a lot better with trauma and we've got a lot better with uh, the adverse childhood experiences aspect of things. And it is sometimes looking past that behaviour, as I've said previously, and say, no, what's wrong with you? Uh, but what's happened to you <clears throat> order yeah. for you to respond in, which, in the way in which you are uh, responding and behaving and exhibiting those behaviours just now? What I would say is we are doing a lot of psychoeducation uh, within the police just now, some of which, uh, Clark, you were made aware of and mm-hmm. what we were doing in your own school. Um, we are doing a massive amount in regard to uh, behaviours, more particularly uh, relationship-based practice. And that's just uh, incorporating in some of the stuff that you've covered already. I know that uh, Kirsty Gels was on in a previous uh, input. Yep. And that relate rupture repair aspect to things and at the end of the day we can always 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 get better at relationships always get better at relationships so uh, I'll, I'll hark back a wee bit in there and show how we've brought in a toolkit uh, that can help repair some of those ruptures that take place so we're in a position where um, we should be at any point in time uh, either a third day of time in relay third of our time in rupture or a third day of time in repair and we never, ever do repair particularly well. We jump between relate to rupture to relate to rupture. A lot of people think that being in rupture is a bad thing, but it's not, because that's the crucible where the resilience will be built. If you effectively repair, you can go forward with the knowledge, should you have another rupture, there's a high likelihood that you'll be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of stages to rupture. The first one being if there is a conflict and there's a loss of trust or a, an emotional bond, that is where the rupture takes place. And you'll firstly go into a state of rupture where there's alienation, usually feelings of hurt and loneliness, there's vilification, that's seeing people as mad, bad, silly or sad. There's polarization and that's where people take entrenched positions. There's a generalization where everything is becoming a problem. And there's a powerlessness. And that's where there's an inability to change either you or on the other person's behalf. And because of that unwillingness, you just become stuck. Now, if there's no an effective repair takes place, and a repair in this instance is where through an apology and an acceptance of responsibility, you can then move on from that. The problem being, if you don't affect an effective repair, you end up into what's termed as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that's criticism, where it's a character assassination that's taking place, 
defensiveness, and that's where there's a refusal to be influenced. A contempt, which usually manifests in uh, expressions of disgust, or what was a personal favourite of mine was stonewalling, where that was just an emotional withdrawal or rejection. That, you are dead to me. Mm. So we've got to an effect or a repair there, and it doesn't have to be uh, you know, a tugging of the forelock and throwing yourself sucking in the floor and begging forgiveness. It just needs to be, and I used to exercise this with people that are actually arrested. So if we could arrest somebody on a Friday night and they were held over to court until the Monday, we're usually the only people in their highest emotional state and their lowest spiritual ebb. And they'll usually be highly emotionally unregulated or they'll be under the influence of drink and or drugs. But during the course of the weekend, I used to make an effort to go down and speak to them in the cell. And it was amazing the number of times that there was a, an apology made on their behalf, almost straight away by saying, big fella, listen, I'm really sorry, that wasn't me. Um, I was just really upset, I, I, was, I was out my face, or blah, blah, blah. Mm. Taking that effort and that, you know... Accountability. Accountability. Speaking to them, but going down and speaking to them, it's not all one-sided. Is mm -hmm. explaining, listen, I was only doing my job. I didn't want to cuff you. I don't want to roll about in the street with you. I've knocked the knees out of my trousers. I've knocked the polish off my shoes. I've got a bruised elbow. I'm getting a wee bit old for this. See the next time that we do this, if we do do this, could we perhaps do it just a wee bit differently? If you're wanting to come out of the house with your head held high and your chest swelled and you don't want to put cuffs on, that's fine. I'll sit you in the back of the car whenever. It's a negotiation. This goes two ways to respect. When you go to the other side, you'll be cuffed for going into the police office. And the number of times that worked really, really well. And I found myself in situations, and I'll be quite honest with you, where the odds were against me. And had I not exhibited that uh, willingness to build a relationship with the people, mm -hmm. and I said that's a very, very vulnerable posi uh, position that they've found themselves in as well. Uh, and at the end of the day, I've deprived them of their liberty as well. Um, but only for having made those relationships. I have been in situations where I was grossly outnumbered mm -hmm. and would have been in the end an absolute kick in had it not been for somebody saying, hey, he's actually quite decent. Aye. But that can be applied to any aspect of life. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, how you approach it. Yeah, absolutely. So people who are distressed, distressed um, and they're being positive outcomes and it's just explaining this isn't personal um, mm -hmm. I'm only doing my job and I'm trying to do it to the best of my ability but I certainly don't want to hurt people while I'm doing that I don't take uh, any great reward uh, from that, I would rather that we didn't have to roll about in the street, we didn't have to fight, but it just shows you that's where there was absolutely a rupture, there was a repair made and that was not me saying, I'm sorry, I'm doing my job. What mm -hmm. I was saying was, I've got a job to do. I'm just explaining the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Could we do it a wee bit differently the next time? It's the of times, sorry, the number of times I can count in one hand uh, how many times I uh, had to arrest somebody in fairly violent circumstances and hadn't made some form of recompense, repair um, during the course of a weekend once the drink or the drugs or the angriness had mm -hmm. worn off. And it's a good way to go about business. It just mm. does. It got me thinking that sometimes when I'm speaking to kids, I'll try and like say, I'm, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. You know, this, this is why I'm, I'm here. I'm not here to make this situation any worse for you. Sometimes by, you know, approaching it kind of similar way to yourself, it kind of makes them understand, right, I, I better listen here and actually take some stuff on board. Um, so, I, all good stuff. Thanks, Hi, for, sh thanks for sharing that, Scott. That was, that was interesting. All right, million, million dollar question then, which is it's always quite an interesting one to find out. Um, so after working with the, the Violence Reduction Unit, what do you know now that you wish you had known at the start of your policing career to deal with certain situations more effectively? Uh, that's quite an easy one, actually, I'll be honest. Uh, when I said at the, the top of the show, um, we were talking about um, having done a lot of self-development and self-learning. I wish I had completed my uh, COSCA counselling skills course and the toolkit that comes with that 30 years ago. Now, to explain, when I was 
training some of the young individuals that we are working with, some of them who have experienced very high numbers of adverse childhoods that they experienced, as soon as I sat them down in order to teach them and gave them a safe space, they were sometimes making disclosures. So my role now is much different from the one that I performed for 30 years, where I would be interviewing with a view to gathering evidence and uh, information in order to investigate and report the circumstances. It's much, much different when somebody is sitting and looking into the whites of your eyes and absolutely bearing their soul and making some horrendous disclosures, if I'm being quite honest. And I did not have the skill set. I didn't have the skill set to support them and hold them in the pain, uh, that disclosure, in a, a nurturing and a supportive way. So what I ended up doing was uh, taking my COSCA counselling skills course. I would recommend that. Now, it's COSCA, C-O-S-C-A. C-O-S-T-A, or you're going to be making coffee. <laughs> I was thinking about Costco. <laughs> well, you could get a big shop there. And <laughs> uh, Costco. So what is it, COSCA, COSCA counselling? It's counselling skills. So it's effectively, you can be CBT, uh, cognitive right, okay. therapy. And yeah. it's, it's, it's proved life-changing for me, I'll mm. be quite honest, because I've then got on to do my diploma, uh, and I'm actually a student counsellor just now in placement, uh, and all going well, I should graduate as a fully qualified CBT psychotherapist next June. But what, what that is, it allows you as much as it is a course of learning, it is a course of healing. Yeah. as well so you get to look at all those bits all those cracks and fissures and the bits that you don't really want to look at um, but having looked at them you get a chance to do a bit of repair as well a bit of self-repair mm -hmm. so I would say I'm a better husband I'm a better dad I'm a better son brother and work colleague on the basis of having undertaken it and I cannot cannot advocate, promote it highly enough, it would be life-changing. Most of the people that I know that have undertaken it have certainly found that. How is it online? You can do it either as a year, uh, doing it in evening courses, or you can do it in about 20 or 25 weeks uh, if you can get a day, day away. Uh, that then provides you with the baseline for you then going on to do your diploma. Right, okay. CBT counselling skills. Um, but I would, I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. And I know that you've both got an interest in why some people exhibit the behaviours that they do and mm. the way that we react. Uh, and it's just hugely interesting. And once you've seen the theory behind it, you can't even see it. Yeah, uh, sounds good. It does. It's like, like you say, but when you do end up finding yourself having like those kind of maybe difficult conversations with certain pupils after you've had maybe like an altercation or whatever um, in the class, or you're, I suppose when you have to maybe do those restorative conversations with them and have a chat about what was happening, it's an actual skill set to be able to go through that process in a, in a nurturing way, like you said, and um, to do it mm -hmm. effectively without it sounding false and kind of scripted almost. It's always... Uh, it's, a, it's a skill to be able to do it really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and for a lot of you, the, the people that are experiencing the crisis, they don't want you to fix it, they just want to be heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see you, I hear you, you matter. Uh, the other part I would say that was of huge benefit to myself, and please take a note of this, a um, couple of things, window of tolerance uh, for Beacon's House, if you have a look at that online, That'll give you an idea as to child brain development and how trauma and adverse childhood experience can affect that. I found that an eye-opener. Uh, empathy versus Sympathy by Brené Brown. And it shows you where empathy fuels connection and sympathy fuels disconnection. And I dealt with sympathy for 30 years when I was a police officer. Uh, Drama Triangle by a guy called Stephen Cartman is another fantastic bit of kit and it shows you the scripted roles of hero villain and victim are these books or are they no they're clips on youtube all oh, right okay got it right and if you watch those you will see the theory and be able to apply it 
to scenes that unfold in front of you on a daily, daily, day and daily basis. Mm-hmm. They are scripted roles, and when you recognise them as scripted roles, yeah, ability to change them. Ah, you so can. Very, very yeah. Another piece, and if you don't do anything else, and I've already mentioned that about being trauma skilled in your practice, NHS education services, NES in Scotland have a gold standard in training for uh, trauma, in particular post-traumatic stress disorder and CPTSD. Mm-hmm. And you might think to yourself that you uh, won't come across that during the course of uh, your day and daily. I will guarantee you with a number of instances of domestic violence, domestic abuse that are reported to the police and it's over 60,000 in a year, that's one every nine minutes. In your classroom, the stats just now would suggest that one in four of those children or young people have either directly witnessed or heard some form of domestic abuse. That in itself is a trauma. Yeah. And we live with trauma every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. So like very, very important. Um, and it's uh, the TURAS platform, and that's T-U-R-A-S, TURAS. And it's mm-hmm. free. Uh, so develop your trauma skill practice as a two-hour session. You can go on and do it in sort of 10, 20-minute segments. And it explains what could be a fairly complex subject matter, the PTSD and CPTSD complex post-traumatic stress disorder in very, very manageable terms. Brilliant. You can I, do it in between watching other things on the TV. If you've not got enough time, it's no one of these things you have to commit half a day to, to do it. Uh, it is worthwhile. That's good stuff to do as well for our, our CPD. Yeah, definitely. definitely. 100%. 100%. We can actually log. It's actually actionable things that we can take away and, and log. And I'm sure, obviously, the people listening as well. Listening as well, yeah. That's what I was going to say. 100% takes, take something away from that and we'll be able to dig into some of that, some of those clips as well. It's always handy to go and see something actually explained well on a, a wee YouTube clip and it helps you can understand it that wee bit better. So... Um, thanks a lot for sharing that, Scott. That was some um, really good stuff that you shared there with the final, the final question. So, thanks a lot for that. But with the the all of our guests, we finish <laughs> off with a. On you go. You got to say something, Clark. Uh, he's not getting away as quick as as easy as that. He's got the quick fire round. Uh, exactly. <laughs> final <laughs> final bit. It's a favourite bit where we can get um, um, three quick questions that we ask all our guests. So it's always interesting to see the different responses. So, to kick us off, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? I would probably have a couple. Uh, one that I really like is, um, and it's Robin Williams, and he said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. No, that's, that's good. Yeah, I love that one. Sometimes you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. That is kind of the same thing, the same idea. You never know. Can I tell you, everybody's in the, st- the same storm. We're just in different boats. Mm-hmm. So some people are Russian oligarchs and luxury liners. Some of us are wooden robots with one over. We're only trying to make safe harbour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I remember you saying, Scott, when you were in the last time speaking with the young, the, the young people, and you were saying like, you don't know the impact you're having when you're speaking to like, like Sunday, you don't know what bit they're taking in and what bit's having an impact. Your words you're using as well. It's, um, like kind of Every interaction has a meaning for them you know every interaction is an intervention absolutely true Um, and as I say some of the young people that we work with they they look and appear not to be listening until such times as they will relate something to you weeks and months later and it's obviously struck a chord somewhere Uh and you'll be unaware of that and it goes back to the old men planting trees under whose shade they will never sit You've got no idea the impact that you are having in the individuals, but be aware it is a powerful and very, very pivotal role as teachers that you are discharging and shaping the future of communities and societies. And I think sometimes you need need to be reminded of that. You're social superheroes. Sometimes you don't wish to recognise it. Definitely. And I absolutely love that quote about the um, we're all in the same storm, just in different boats. Brilliant. I think that could be one for the, the Instagram page, Clark, to put as the, the quote yeah, on this episode. It's a that's, a, that's us. 
Right, n- number two then, the quick fire, Scott. Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Uh, I would have to say my dad. Uh, very, very strong role model. And I'm not talking about the toxic masculinity type, just being a thoroughly all-round really good guy. Uh, generous, both financially and in spirit. Uh, and I took a fair amount from him, including a work ethic as well. He was somebody that worked six and a half days a week for the majority of the, his, his job uh, and his occupation. He worked with the council. Um, about six and a half days a week, and uh, woe betide me if I was lying in my bed at 12 o'clock on a Sunday when I arrived back. But uh, role modelling, uh, you know, you can achieve anything through hard work and uh, just a sense of humour as well. And it's something that uh, hopefully, hopefully, I've garnered from them. And uh, some of the, the, the sort of life skills that go along with that. I was very lucky, spent a lot of time when I was younger. We were very much into shooting and fishing. Um, and and all of that stuff uh, and and give me a love uh, the, out, the, the outdoors and nature. Um, so uh, I would say that he's had the biggest influence in my life shortly followed by my mum. Brilliant. Can I argue with that? Number three then, final one. What top three tips would you give to our teacher listeners right now when dealing with distressed or with stressed, anxious pupils? Okay, hearts back in. I'll, t- I'll come on to the rupture repair kit now. If you are having an argument uh, or you're getting into the stage of uh, that sort of highly emotional crisis state with someone, it's, it's called the point system. So P stands for pause. The best battle to win is the one that is never fought. So if it looks like it's going to end up in an argument, take a break. Allow yourself to emotionally rebalance because at that point in time, you're emotionally winded. And where you are reacting from is from your amygdala. And that's your flight, 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 right or freeze, freeze. So what's happening there is you're just lashing out verbally. And you will not be, and you'll know this, you'll know this. Your amygdala causes your prefrontal cortex to disconnect. So the front part of your brain is that reasoning, judgment, emotion, good choices aspect of things. When the amygdala starts firing, it goes offline. And I'll describe this to you, you'll recognise it. How many times have you been involved in an argument with somebody and turned to walk away and got about three steps and went, damn it, I should have said that. That was a killer blow. That's your prefrontal cortex coming back online. Mm-hmm. So take a break, allow yourself to emotionally rebalance. Oh, as for observe. Observe what's going on within us, how we feel at that point in time. Are we confused? Are we agitated? Are we frustrated? Are we angry? Are we out with our window of tolerance? So take a look at that, how we as individuals feel. Interpret. Add some context and detail to understand what's happening in the situation itself. Is the person that you are arguing with or about to argue with being involved in some other argument? just before? Have they been assaulted? Have they been hurt? What is it that's happened that's causing them to act the way they're acting? Then negotiate is the end. Negotiate and clearly establish you and the other person's position for the position of I. So it's that I think, I feel, I believe this has happened because of. That's a very difficult thing for somebody to come back and say, no, that's you, you don't feel that. You don't believe that. You don't think that. It's a really difficult thing. But what that does is everything in life is transactional. So if you set your stall by saying, I think, I feel, I believe, and then invite them to come, that everything in life is transactional. Everything is the negotiation. And the other part is T, and it's try, try again, even when you're unsuccessful. So that is your rupture repair kit. What I would say is if it's in regard to stress and anxious pupils, and if it's a known period, say it's coming up for the exams, a wee bit like Clark, um, when we were in at the school, we, we took the dog in, but you can take more dogs in. You can do things like uh, pause against stress sessions. So you might take six or seven dogs in and allow staff and pupils to pop in and out during the course of the day. Um, we're in a school on a fairly regular basis where we're doing some of the work with some of the young people. And it's amazing the people that just trip in and have a cuddle or a clap at the dog and go, I'm just having a really bad day. Is it okay if I clap your dog? Absolutely. Crack on. So that's something that can be organised 
through um, Canine Concern uh, Scotland uh, for people that are uh, local. And I know that schools have organised those um, in the recent past as well. The other part would be um, be cognizant of our own stress levels. And it's going back to what I was saying about that point approach. We everybody live in life in you know, mid-air and hair and fire. If we can't transform stress in ourselves, we transmit it. And that will be responded to. And if we are hurt in any way, hurt people, hurt people. Intelligent people when under stress say incredibly stupid things. And that's because our amygdala firing and the prefrontal cortex and the good decision making has went offline. Another thing what I would say is listen and breathe. Listen and breathe. Pupils in that high state of anxiety or stress, heightened state of emotion, they, are, they can't rationalise eh, their feelings or indeed the reassurance that you might be trying to provide to them. Often they don't want you to fix the problem, they just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. So that message of I see you, I hear you, you matter is very important. And that might be you modelling deep, calm breathing in a quiet, open stance, and that might help to model them, to regulate them back into a place where they can rationalise and they can perceive as to what's happening. So I think that's that was more than three. I had that's fine, but it's, I, I was brilliant. I love that there. Really, really informative uh, points there to take yeah, away for us. Definitely, aye, that can be, that was a, a brilliant way to to round off the, the quick fire round tonight, Scott. So again, just want to say thanks from the both of us for um, giving up your time tonight to come on and share your knowledge, your experiences throughout your career. Um, and obviously the work that you've been doing recently with the Scottish Violence Reduction Unit. So we're both very grateful for your time tonight. So thank you most kindly for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's good to see you again, Scott. Good to catch up. I'm sure we'll catch up again in the future. Catch up later. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the OBO podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.